0: Hey, Julie here from Crazy in the King. And as a small business owner, Torrin and I both know that paying and taking care of your team can be tough, especially right now during COVID. And that's why Gusto, our very first sponsor, has a built-in, easy-to-use payroll benefits, onboarding, and other HR tools. If you, our listeners get three months free at gusto.com slash C-A-T-K. That's gusto.com forward slash c-a-t-k
1: it's time to stop dealing and start demanding it's time to stop being pc and start being transparent and authentic it's time to get real prepare yourself it's time for crazy and the king
0: welcome to crazy and the king it's hey,
1: Torrin. Pushing through August, let me tell you, uh I, I'm I'm sitting back in my chair, I'm looking outside, I see sun. I even had a couple of calls this week where folks were like, I'm going on vacation. And you know how when you were little and your mom said you couldn't go outside and play? You remember that? And oh, you would yeah. sit in the window and you'd watch all of your friends outside. Like I feel that way right now. And it's a shame at 51 that I'm feeling like I can't go outside (laughs) and play. Like, (laughs) it is the worst feeling, man. I'm listening. And you know, you're biting, you're like speaking through your teeth, like, okay, well enjoy yourself. I mean, like where you go? I mean, like you literally are like, why are they able to go on vacation? And I am like fiending for a getaway right now. However, I'm cool with being healthy. Uh, family is healthy. So it is what it is. It's a sacrifice. So I'm just going to say to everybody out there, make sure you're wearing your mask for real. Yeah, because like, I'm ready to go being, on a damn
0: airplane again.
1: Yeah, like stop being, you know, retic- uh, you know just reticent, resistant. Um, just put the mask on, man, so we can get this thing under control and try to get back to some degree of free movement, like literally, for real. Can we do that? All right. Awesome.
0: Yes, Thank hey,
1: Jake, so do you remember um, uh, back in May I said that I was going to spend some time, uh, I wanted to spend 90 days learning about the hijabi women and that I was going to follow uh, some hijabi women on Instagram. You remember that?
0: Yes, yes. So are we at the end of that 90 days?
1: We're at the end of the 90 days. And I also did a couple of other things. Like I got real bold. You know, I, I went out and signed up for a few newsletters um but not just normal newsletters um they were actually in muslim um what
0: do you mean in muslim
1: well in when i mean in muslim they were they were rooted in the religion okay. their practice it was really um It was one of those things where I said to myself, it's amazing what I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is, right?
1: Amazing what I don't know. um, So much so that I actually, and I can't remember her name now. She was, uh, let me see if I can find it really quickly. She was going to be a guest on my Sirius XM show. Ah, there it is. Bihaj Muhammad. And her name is spelled a Haj Ab- 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 Muhammad. She's the first um, athlete to wear the hijab in the Olympics.
0: Uh, she was yes, going to be the, a yes. Uh, the fencer, right?
1: The fencer. That's right. She yeah, was going to be a guest awesome. yes. and... And so I was so looking forward to that interview, but unfortunately, we had some scheduling challenges and we gave out the wrong information or her handler, uh, you know, gave her the wrong information. But I got to tell you, it was 90 days of of learning. I hadn't learned enough where I'm comfortable, you know, repeating anything.
0: Mm -hmm. But I
1: mean, I literally was trying to learn words, trying to learn aspects of the culture, So I actually just moved the the marker forward on my calendar another 90 days. So hopefully in the next 90 days, I'll be able to maybe talk about some of the the newsletters or websites that I've subscribed to and, and share that with you and with the listening audience. But it's been a beautiful excursion for me.
0: Good, good. Yeah, so I don't think I ever have told anyone this outside of my family, but when I was in college, I actually read the Quran. Okay. And- um, I found I, I took a whole class on the Middle East and we read the Quran in that class and and found it to be incredibly compelling and interesting in so much of the fact that as Americans we often think of Islam as a is kind of a backward uh, non-progressive religion but when you compare just like how the Bible was written and how the Quran was written and how we as a society not just American society, but Islamic society has in large part moved beyond those Old Testament types of behaviors and ideals. Mm -hmm. Um, you can see so many of the underlying practices are so completely aligned with, with the way that you and I grew up in the Christian church and, and all that. So I I've been doing some more reading and some more introspection and, um, have just been learning more about the differences and the challenges that uh, Black Americans have had within the the, the Muslim church and um, just listened to a really great uh, code switch, uh, the NPR podcast okay. uh, about that intersection. And it was something that I was unaware of and I think would be a great, if we could find a guest who was both Black and Muslim um, who would kind of come and talk to us about how they've approach their religion and how, um, they've met obstacles or opportunities based around, um, being both black and Muslim at, at work and outside at the church. I, I think it's, it's a topic that in, in a group of individuals that I know you and I really haven't done a lot with on the podcast and, and creates another opportunity. So as you get through those next 90 days, let's think about how we can, uh, advance that conversation?
1: I think that that would actually be quite interesting. And I do have several friends who are black and are Muslim. Um, yeah, I think that that could actually be an interesting, uh, insertion. So yeah, I got it. I'll take that. Uh, I'll take that charge. I'm on top of that. I got you.
0: Awesome.
1: Absolutely. I got you. So it looks like, um, (laughs) it looks like some folks been messing around in the kitchen. I'm talking about McDonald's. Now, listen, I I don't know about you, but 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 I know I know things have have changed a bit in terms of dining out. Uh, And so there may be some listeners out there that are still pulling through the drive up at McDonald's. And so we want to talk about what could be your favorite restaurant. By the way, are, are you a quarter pounder big mac type woman? <laughs> where, where, where do you See you run a better 2 miles than I do. So, but yeah. but every once in a while you might you might sneak in one of them burgers. So, are you like a McDonald's girl?
0: So, every once in a while I will have a McChicken with cheese. Do not tell my husband. Do not okay. do not do not. I will never hear the end of it.
1: <laughs> Drill sergeant, I have you in the back. I enjoy doing leg raises and crunches and everything else. Trust me, I won't tell him. But I am going to put it down in my little notepad. Things about Jay that I didn't know. A McChicken with cheese. I got it. So McDonald's is suing its former CEO Steve Easterbrook. They said uh, basically he didn't tell the truth. So he was actually fired last fall for having a consensual relationship with a subordinate, Julie. And that subordinate uh, was, I don't know, I mean, you know, just somebody younger than him. I don't know if that person, I'm not younger, but uh, lower in, um, you know, responsibility and reporting structure. Now, I don't know if the subordinate was equally a leader or an executive, but nonetheless a subordinate. But that consisted of also sending sexual messages to one yeah. You know, he getting his friend going in the kitchen <laughs> and in the court, he, he said, you know what I mean? He's <laughs> sitting in that glass, that big glass conference room and he up in that joint. Uh-huh. You put, here, here's what's interesting. How did they know?
0: Uh, That's a good question. I can think it of two ways. ways. <laughs> Listen, they said, it
1: was, they said it was a whistleblower, but okay. the question becomes, how did they know? Which which is just a quick signal, like a digital smoke signal for all of you out there who are doing a little bit of the hanky panky in the workplace and you doing some things that probably are not necessarily above board. Somebody is always watching and somebody is always not keeping up their end of the bargain in terms of it being a secret. Like yeah. somebody always says, you know, this is just between you and I, but they whispering it to somebody else, girl, you know how it is. You know how it is. Sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? They walking down, they walking to go get son, son. Let me tell you about So somebody's always talking. So let me tell you these sex messages apparently got out to the board of directors and in the lawsuit, it claims that Mr. Easterbrook had sexual relationships with three other employees.
0: Wait, I thought that I was the only one. Oh no. Oh,
1: you've said that before, you heard that before. Three other employees and that he awarded a lucrative batch of shares to one of them. Let me tell you how the Mm. chef is in this kitchen getting it in. This dude is up in this joint creating all types of new recipes for McDonald's. He is absolutely getting it in. And so now, now they are doing, they're looking at a clawback. And so everyone out there knows what clawbacks are. He got, you know, a severance package. I believe, don't quote me on this number. I believe his severance package was somewhere it it was between 45 and $50 million. Uh, About 700,000 of that up to a million of that, I believe was in straight cash. So it it isn't as if he walked away with a great deal of money, but he did. And Uh, so now, yeah, you know, now the board is trying to, to get back. They're trying to claw back almost all of that severance package. That, Man, let me tell you, if that doesn't give you a migraine, like if I, if I knew a client or or a company or some relationship I had dropped all of those zeros in my account, and, and then I'm looking in the the headlines of the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or any other publication, and I find out I find out that the board is 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 suing me, and they trying to let me tell you something, I'm I'm doing. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, even changing your banking system and freezing it, that, that's nothing from a lawsuit. That's got to give you a major
0: headache. Headache, and headache. You better get that stuff to a bank in Cyprus. That's all I'm saying. In but Cyprus,
1: he says. Okay, yes. got it. Yes. So yes, okay. for
0: first rule of first Mama Julie rule that I told my kids when they got cell phones. Okay. Once it's on the Internet, you can never get it back. Never. And text messages is just the internet in a different form. And, you know, I mean, it's like, God damn. I mean, that's the most expensive set of text messages other than maybe Jeff Bezos in (laughs) the history of the world. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't think about it like that. That really is an expensive number of text messages for real. Yeah.
0: And you know, one girl found out like, Oh man, she got shares and I didn't get shares.
1: Absolutely. Whistleblower.
0: That that was nice to say, but seriously, just get your shit together. But I do on this story, though, what I think is is really good about the story is that McDonald's is doing the clawback because we've seen so many especially male executives walk away from, um, sexual scandals at the office with that golden parachute. And I'll just kind of say the the old boys club, the good old boys go, well, maybe next time it'll be me. So we'll just let him leave with our $50 million. And, and the board decided that wasn't going to be the case. I mean, to go public with it, this, you know, assuming that they had conversations behind closed doors and they tried to come to an agreement and and that didn't happen. Uh, to continue to go forward with it is a pretty big stand, I think, as not as a corporation, but as a board of directors and and a set of very powerful people. So I'll, I'll take that as a win.
1: Absolutely. No, I, I absolutely believe that it's important. And you, and, you know, again, the seriousness of the story is, you know, A, Let's do all that we can to make sure that the relationships, if in fact you are cultivating them in the workplace that you are doing them in a way that is absolutely responsible, that you are respectful throughout such like, it just makes no sense for us to run rough shot uh, through these organizations. And this right here is a very costly example it's actually uh, causing a number of organizations to revisit their pay and severance policies. And I think it's an appropriate thing for them to do. I I think, you know, again, like you said, Julie, it really makes all the sense in the world for for boards of directors to not just simply sweep these incidents under the rug and just kind of like wait for them to die down, but just say, no, I mean, we're being responsible. We are being fiscally responsible over the organization's money. Uh, And so if you've done something that breaks your employment agreement, then you might have to pay for it. Uh, Speaking of employment uh, agreements, language matters. Uh, And I found a story. I had a problem um, with this particular story. I don't have a problem with the title or the intent. Actually, I found it uh, over on the Deccan Herald, D-E-C-C-A-N Herald, Deccan Herald. Harold, the the title is CEOs Pledge to Hire 100,000 Low-Income and Minority New Yorkers. Cool. Okay. This is a coalition of 27 major companies, uh, companies that include MasterCard, Goldman Sachs, Verizon. They've all pledged to hire 100,000 low-income and Black, Latino, and Asian workers in New York City over the next 10 years it's a broader push for them to really look at how to expand economic opportunity to marginalized communities. So here's where i had the issue and and i'm 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 standing in a position with my hands up like throw it at me julie, throw it at me. Here's okay. my issue. My issue was with the language. When okay. you said a coalition of of companies when you say 100,000 low-income and black, latino and asian workers and you don't say white, I have an issue with that. When you don't say, um, you know, some, uh, I just have an issue when you 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 tag low income and in many ways less than skilled on black and brown people, and you don't say and include white people. A- am I being sensitive?
0: And I don't think so. And I. And I think this is actually something that I've, I've talked about with in kind of my personal conversations about how I want to make sure that the language that I'm using does not associate that all black, brown people are low income or at the poverty level, because that's not true, right? We have the largest middle or black middle class in the nation's history right now. We still have work to do, but it It promotes stereotypes when we group them together. And so when I read this, I kind of, I think I read it with that intent in mind. So I didn't take it the same way that you did. Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does.
0: But that being said, it's like, why you got to call out diversity period, I guess, in this in this case, right? Like, can we just say, and I'm, and I'm asking, can we say, hey, we're gonna, we've pledged to hire 100,000 low income New Yorkers. It's gonna include white people, black people, gay people, disabled people, Latinx people. It's gonna be everybody, but we're really focusing on poverty. So, is it like, what's the focus, right? Are they focusing on poverty? Or are they focusing on diversity, because what you're saying is absolutely right. Those are not mutually exclusive or mutually inclusive conversations.
1: Yeah. And that was my, that was my issue. And again, I'm absolutely all for the coalition. I'm I'm so appreciative of the leaders of the organizations that have found this to be a mission that they want to take up. I guess I just felt like, you know, a part of me felt like we're excluding, um, you know, white folks that are poor or low income, not poor, their language is low income, we're excluding them from the conversation. And it it triggered me to think about, you know, we got a lot of people inside of talent acquisition, HR, who feel like if in fact we are intentional about going after black and brown individuals, Latino, Latina individuals, uh, even Asian individuals, Muslim individuals, if we are intentional about going after these different audiences, people with disabilities, LGBTQ, are we setting ourselves up for a lawsuit or some sort of legal uh, activity because we are discriminating against white people? And I often tell them, no, I personally don't feel like you're doing that. I just feel like you're being intentional. And so I feel like in this particular example, if they feel like these audiences or these communities have historically been ignored, Historically lacking of opportunity, whether it be economic, employment-related, or both, honestly, then I thought that they were missing a word like particularly, like we pledged to hire one hundred thousand low-income individuals with specificity or particularly from Black, Latino, and Asian communities. I, I just felt like it was just missing something, and and I said to myself, I don't know. I mean, maybe this. I'd love to hear the thoughts of our listeners. I'd love to hear the thoughts of them for real, because uh, I don't want to sound as if I am splitting hairs, but I try my best to be very present and very uh, sensitive to the language that we are using. I, I try to police myself in terms of language, how I post on social media, things that I say when I'm standing in front of a microphone, when I'm engaged with a client. But I also would love to to use that same lens as I am reading content. So I appreciate your observation. I do.
0: Yeah, And I, I think you you bring up a really good point. You know, language does matter, and associations happen when we use language frivolously, right? And that actually brings up a lovely transition. Thank you for that. Um, to a great stat that you actually should not a great stat, a stat that you shared with me on Twitter this week. And I thought we could just kind of wrap up the show talking about, um, that particular paycheck survey. And what that found was that 54% of employees worry about sharing mental health issues at work with about 30% fearing they could lose their jobs, be denied advancement, and only five percent. So they spoke with HR about their mental health. Wow, yeah, not yeah, surprising, it but
1: it is the the title of the piece is the uh, mental health in in the workplace and and actually it was a survey of just over a thousand employees, one thousand seventeen employees. I'm not sure, um, you know what responsibility or what role or level these employees were. It didn't go into specificity there, but it was amazing to me. Like even now you have people who are, are hesitant to say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not all right.
0: Yeah. I I mean, like this is, Kind of an everyday thing that we I encounter, we encounter as a team at disability solutions. When we start working with new companies or we're talking to companies who are considering really in investing in disability and inclusion, and without fail, I will meet employees or leaders within an organization who will say I am a parent of a child with a disability. I am a person with a disability. I have mental health issues. And I have worked here for 5, 10, 15 years. And that's the first time I've ever said it out loud. And how just heartbreaking that is to hear them having to hide who they are and what their struggles are because of, of a very real fear factor that very much exists around disability or mental health in the workplace. And, you know, we also know from from NAMI that 45 million Americans, working age Americans, have a mental health issue every single year. And that doesn't include 2020. So you, we know that that number is much, much higher, but it is really still the most stigmatized in terms of perception and stereotype disability and it's also the largest disability um subsection of our community. And so, you know, it's not surprising at all, but I think what we need to start thinking about is like why is it that way? Right? I mean, Torin, what do you why do you think it's that way?
1: So, journey with me and and maybe I can get to a response to your question. Take a journey with me. You are the interviewer. I am the interviewee and in in, in the beginning I would sit across from you and let's assume we've gone through all of the steps and, you know, we're about to, to execute on the offer letter. We're, you know, we're just kind of like chit chatting at this particular point, because I know that I'm reporting into you or to someone else. And typically at that point, I would say, Julie, I I have some vacation set for the end of the year. Right. I could do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I might say, a hey, Julie, uh, my wife is pregnant, or um, I'm expecting a child in nine months. That could be different if 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 I'm the individual who's pregnant. We'd agree. We'd agree. Yep. So so I sit here and I listen to this stat, and I think about how many individuals are covering in that regard, not willing to reveal. And so my question to you is, when do you think? we should be revealing this information. If we have a hidden disability, what, what, what would I ideally, I think it would be in that moment. That's me. I don't have to my knowledge, a hidden disability. So I'm asking you, do you feel like we should share that? We should get to a point in corporate America where the candidate is able to share that upon joining in the onboarding process? Or do you feel like it should happen, you know, at some point after a couple of events? When should we be sharing that, Julie?
0: It's a really tough question to answer. I would say in the interview process, unless you are aware of an accommodation that you need out of the gate, um, no, don't share it at that point because we want people to have a chance to get to know us, to get to know our work ethic, to get to kind of have that personal relationship before they potentially place that bias based on our, our mental health. Got it. But what I think happens too often is what could be very normal, casual conversation about anxiety, depression, um panic attacks bipolar disorder which are all very common mental health disabilities is that they become so stigmatized that to even raise them um invites weird looks from your leaders from your peers from HR kind of shaking their head going like no don't talk about that and we should be able to have those casual conversations just like you're saying you know Hey, I'm going on vacation. Hey, my wife's pregnant. I'm going to be out for a few men, you know, a few months. Hey, I, you know, I, I'm really struggling with this right now, and I, you know, I'm going to go to the doc and get it checked out, or I'm, I'm seeing some counseling. But it, it's just a normal part of your conversation because it's a normal part of who you are as a human being. But we've put so much emphasis on mitigating risk and controlling risk as companies instead of thinking as humans. Uh with greater humanity and and with just understanding um, that people can't even just have a basic conversation that a lot of times would just be kind of the necessary outlet that they need and the intel that a hiring manager, not a hiring manager, but a supervisor or leader needs to help better coach and lead that individual, but can't say it because there's all of this pressure on it.
1: You know, when you actually raise a very good point, you talk about it from the standpoint of leadership with disabilities and having someone that you can model, someone you can point or refer to. And I think about the very big deal. It was a grand statement when Tim Cook came out about being um, gay and yeah. a couple of years ago. And, and I mean, literally newspapers, headlines, blogs. I mean, it was a very big deal to be able to point to model that this is a leader who is out and secure. I think at that point he was the only CEO, I can't remember, but you raise a very, very good point in terms of leadership modeling in it. And and that's where they have to step up. We really, I really would hope that some leaders are hearing this. If you are listeners, please share this with your executive suite, your boards of directors, your communications, your PR teams, your media marketing teams, because we need leaders to come to to feel comfortable in their capacity, revealing that they may have a disability, particularly a hidden or unseen disability and be able to elaborate and narrate how it has not impacted their work in a negative way, but how they've been able to excel and move through the organization And I think it would make other leaders, people that are responsible for people and careers and performance reviews and promotions and mentoring and support, I think it'll help them become even more comfortable being able to support the people that report up to them. So I absolutely agree with you around the visibility of leadership needing to be there. We really, really, really need that.
0: Yep, and we we need, and that starts to really remove one, the it's fake, right? Because it's kind of like the the first. It's like, hey, the saw in your head, Julie. Kind of get over it. Um, or the the other side that it is dangerous. Um, very few people with mental health have um, it, aggression, violence issues when they're having a, a mental health episode. That is actually incredibly rare. And but that's the association that gets put on. Um, individuals with mental health issues. And, you know, we also need to, when we have leaders who are capable of having human conversations about who they are as people, it starts to also change the the tone around mental illness. A, a lot of times, and I, I mean a lot of times when I'm talking to leaders within organizations who cover accommodations or who, you know, kind of look at FMLA and that kind of thing. Um, they have a really negative stereotype around how people are faking their mental illnesses so that they can, you know, kind of get over on the company and get some FMLA, get a longer vacation, all this just ridiculous BS. And that that's not the case. That Is, is there going to be somebody who does it sometimes? Yeah, that guy's an asshole. That girl's an asshole. But 99% of the time, You've got people who are struggling, who want to be at work, who want to be productive, who are very, very capable. They just need someone to be that human so that they don't have to put that additional pressure on themselves to hide who they are at the place where they spend more time than anywhere else in their life.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, I absolutely, absolutely agree. So a couple of quick mentions. Hey, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Do we, do we have a, no, we're good there. Okay, cool. A (laughs) couple of quick mentions. Um, I did mention that there's a conference coming up, the Diversity and Inclusion Research Conference. Uh, They're going by the hashtag of D-I-R-C-20. This is going to be the last time I'm saying it because no one sent me a, I didn't see a tweet. So I'm going to give you the rules again. You have to post a tweet of the conference. You got to use their hashtag D-I-R-C-20. You have to tag Julie. At Julie Sowash. And you have to tag me at Torin Ellis. Uh, and of course, you have to hashtag crazy and the king. And if you do that, I'm gonna purchase you a ticket to the conference. Now I'm willing to give away a couple of tickets. I ain't gonna tell you how many because I don't need y'all spending my money, <laughs> but I'm willing to give away a couple of tickets because I'm just that nice. You know, I want I want to to see if we can spread some of this information. And I'm hoping that you'll sit in on the uh, the event and then come back and give me the cliff note version. You know, so there, there certainly is a bit of a a, a give and take in, in the situation. The other quick mention is love Hung Lee's Recruiting Brain Food Newsletter. Uh, and if you're not subscribing to such, uh, highly encourage you to go out to recruitingbrainfood.com. Again, recruitingbrainfood.com. Com. Name drop.
0: Um, the biggest name drop probably should have been our only conversation of this podcast is to the one, the only. Next, Madam Vice President, Miss is Kamala Harris, who <laughs> got the official nod as the VP um partner to Mr. Biden this week. Um, first black woman, first Indian woman, um to Make a major presidential party or major parties presidential ticket at the vice president level. Um, Incredible. Just a moment in history, no matter what part of the the aisle you sit on. I think we all know which one I do. But congratulations to Mrs. Kamala Harris for changing history today or this week and hopefully changing history in November.
1: Shout out to Kamala. Mine goes to... Mr. Daryl Graves, uh, we have acknowledged him before on the podcast. He's always been supportive, always been an individual who has shared our podcast with his tribe, with individuals inside of his former organization. And I'm doing a name drop on him uh, because he joined a new organization, Daryl Graves. He's on Twitter at D Graves SF, D Graves S as in Sam, F as in Frisco. He actually just joined Dialpad and he's going to be helping them to build out their uh, D&I initiative. So he, he is my name drop for this week.
0: Yes. Congrats to Daryl and congrats to Dialpad. They, they uh, got quite the win there with picking him up. So awesome.
1: Good stuff. So listen, Julie and I close reminding each and every one of you to do what Daryl does. We want you to share the pod with your digital tribe. As we mentioned a moment ago in talking about this segment around mental health and people in their revelation being comfortable, please get this information in the hands of your marketing team. Hopefully, they'll include Crazy and the King inside of their newsletter. Hopefully, they'll take action on maybe encouraging individuals, um, just encouraging individuals to feel confident uh, in revealing what it would take for them to be even more whole. By the time this drops, we will be celebrating Black women's equal Pay Day, And so I want to leave you with this. Challenge your HR uh, teams and your entire organization to go through and do a diagnostic on compensation, not just for Black women, but for all women. Make sure that women are being paid on par with their male counterparts. Be a better human. Have an awesome rest of the week. Catch me on SiriusXM Channel 126 this Sunday. I'm going to be talking to the attorney of an individual who has brought a lawsuit against Pinterest. Yep, we're going to get it in. For now, Julie and I are ghost. See ya. We are excited about having our first Crazy and the King show sponsor. That is in reference to Gusto. Who are they? Well, Gusto is an easy online payroll and benefits service built for modern small businesses. In other words, a people platform. One place to pay and take care of your hardworking team. Here's the offer. Get three months free when you run your first payroll. All you need to do is visit gusto dot com forward slash c a t k That's abbreviated for Crazy and the king. One more time go to gusto dot com forward slash c a t k do you love news about LinkedIn, indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah.